0: I hope as we did a few songs today that were maybe not familiar to you, I hope you paid very close attention to them. Uh, The lyric the message was amazing and wonderful and speaks to our hearts. Author Gary Freeson wrote about his friend Riley and uh, when Riley told him about the first time that he had ever come to Freeson's church. Riley said that during the service, he lingered after, uh, like some of you will do today. Uh, And and he talked to this person and that person. He was a a very engaging person, and he was wanting to find out what he could about the church, and he walked outside and talking. Well, what he did not know was that his four-year-old daughter, Melody, was still inside the building. And they talked long enough outside The church was locked, and the lock required a key. And it was an older church, didn't have glass out in the front. Uh, There was a big wooden oak door between him and Melody. And when he realized his daughter wasn't with him, his first thought was that she must still be in the church. And so he lifted, there was a little mail slot. He lifted the mail slot and called out, Melody, are you in there? And he heard her tearful voice say, yes, daddy. And the next thing he knew, her little fingers were going through the mail slot. And he grabbed hold of her fingers and she calmed down. She was comforted because she knew her daddy was with her. Isaiah chapters 40 through 55 are known by scholars as a book of consolation. There's a very different tone in those chapters than in the rest of the book as a whole. You see, most of Isaiah are words of judgment. But chapters 40 through 55 are Isaiah looking through the power of the Spirit prophetically to a very different time when the people are enslaved in Babylon, captives pulled away from their home, their country, their land, and from their mind, their God. And he speaks to them. And these books, rather than words of judgment, are primarily words of comfort. Isaiah Speaking prophetically to a people who needed to know God has not abandoned you. God still loves you. And God will one day bring you home. Even if they could not see him. God was holding on to them. As it were through a mail slot. Holding on. The text we're going to look at today. Is from the 55th chapter of the book of Isaiah. The very last book of consolation. And it opens up with what one author says one of the most warm statements about God's love for His people and His desire to make them whole. It is as warm, maybe warmer than even anything you could find in the New Testament, he said. And it is a passage that is powerful and real. And we need to hear it. Because all of us need comfort at some point in time. Everyone here, I don't care how strong your faith is. I don't care if you have walked with Jesus for 60 years and love him very deeply. The truth is everybody in this room and on this earth will need comfort from God at some time or other, we feel adrift. We feel if we, as though we are cut off. We are out of touch. This is part of the heart that starts calling out to God that finally starts understanding we really do need an awakening. We need a coming back to God. We need God to make himself known to us. And this is what our passage is all about as God is going to issue out a call if you're thirsty. And all of us are thirsty from time to time. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. And I'll be reading out of the New American Standard today for very, a couple of specific reasons. So get ready to hear this incredible word of comfort and call that God is giving to a people who are captive, who had lost their way from God, who had lost sight and eventually felt his hand of discipline. Beautiful passage. Hear the word of the Lord. Ho, every one who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. In our passage of Scripture today, Isaiah was calling out and telling the people, you need to receive a refreshing from God. You need to be renewed. You need to hear God. He wants to bring you home. And with that incredible truth, we see, if we'll just pay attention, that God calls out to the convicted heart, to that person who's lost their way, to the prodigal who's in the far country and knows I need to get back to my father. God is issuing a call for us to come to him and return to him. But just what is it that God is speaking to us in this passage of Scripture? What is he saying to you and to me thousands of years after the passage was written? We're going to look at some promises in our text today promises that are coming straight from the heart of God. And we'll see what God wants thirsty people to do. So we begin our first promise. God says, I can freely give you what you need. I can freely give you what you need. And this is, again, such a beautiful passage of scripture. It's hard to 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 know exactly where to start, but we'll start at the very beginning here. I can give you what you need. You see, a powerful image was drawn showing God's desire to renew His people. God used something that would get their attention. That very first word, and it's omitted by most English translations. Ho! It can be... Translated, you can just use the Hebrew letters and say, hoy. Most of the translations simply use the word come. They supply the word come. And I'll get back to why that would be important later. But this is a word, and it is most often found in the Old Testament when God has just issued a word of judgment. It can also be translated woe. Whoa, we are in trouble. Whoa, God's judgment is coming. Whoa, we have offended the Holy One of Israel. But here, that's not its intention. Here, it is used to gain attention. Gain attention. It is an interjection. When I shouted out, ho, some of you jumped. You were not perhaps expressing, expecting that loud of a shout. But what has been pointed out, the image that is most likely being used here would have been well known to the people of Isaiah's time, to the people in Babylon. It was an image of a water vendor. Alan brought his bottle of water up here and we can go to a tap and turn it and we get water instantly. In the ancient Near East, it was not that easy to find good drinking water. And then so in a city, it was not unusual for someone to actually go through the city selling water. And that is the image. And when he cries out, ho, it's basically yelling, listen, over here, I've got what you need. James, uh hope he doesn't mind, I'm going to use him, but I'm going to use him. James is an artist. Some of you know that. Uh, James actually goes down and works at the French Quarter and, uh, has done characters. He also does portraits of people's pets. And, uh, he, folks, if you've ever been to the French Quarter, if you've ever been to Jackson Square, you have an idea of what I'm talking about because there are people everywhere. Now, maybe not so much during a year of COVID. But on normal situations, a Saturday at Jackson Square is full of people. And they're all trying to get your attention. They're all wanting you to come and see their stuff. They're all wanting you to come and hear their music. And so they're all in competition. And here is a water vendor walking through Babylon. Ho! listen, I've got the water you need. And apparently he's even got more because we've got wine, milk all that kind of stuff. I've got what you need. I can help you out. And this is the image. Now, again, most trans, modern translations just use the word come. And I think that's unfortunate. Now, you have to dig in to find out what ho means or hoy or however you choose to get it. But folks, this is God. Calling out to his people. And he will repeat the idea with the word listen. God is saying, listen to me. For centuries, you wouldn't. You wouldn't hear my call. You wouldn't pay attention. And every prophet I sent, you ignore. But right now, I need you to listen to me completely. But folks, it's not just the idea come because you're invited to have water and wine and milk and honey at no charge, at no charge. I have a friend who absolutely refuses to buy bottled water. Uh, and if you've ever tried to figure out the cost to production ratio of a bottle of water, you might understand why. But this, God is calling out. To everyone. That's the other reason I chose the New American Standard. When we hear the word everyone, we always hear it as one word, everyone. New American Standard intentionally translates everyone. Because they want you to understand. This isn't just going out to the mass of people, everyone here. It is going out to every single individual who will hear the call every one of you here, and come and get from me what you freely need. And this was so opposite of what Israel understood that how things worked with God. Because they they believed that in order to find the, a relationship with God, they had somehow to earn it. They didn't understand the grace of God. Even though every person who has ever come to know God is by grace, in their mind, this is going to cost us something. We've got to do a sacrifice. We've got to do something, some kind of moral decision and movement. And then God will hear us, and then God will forgive us. And God is saying, I will supply the need you have, every single one of you, and it will not cost you anything This sounds so weird. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy without price. Even our ears, that sounds strange. But it's been pointed out. We have here, in Isaiah's words, an amazing statement and look. It is in chapters 40 through 55, you find a person being spoken of, the servant of the Lord. He is now known as the suffering servant. All we like sheep have gone our own way and God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He will be beaten. He will die. He will have stripes that will bring the spiritual healing, the wholeness that we need desperately in this world. God is going to send a servant. And Isaiah seems to understand, folks, the reality is there was a price for this water and wine and milk. And the suffering servant of God paid it. He paid it. Throughout the book of of Isaiah, water is used to define the presence of God. It is a refreshing. It is a wholeness. It is a, a fullness. And he's talking to a people who are so far from home and many of them still broken. And God is telling them, you can have wholeness. You see, they're not thirsty for water. They're thirsty for God. And the price has been paid that they may know Him. Friends, God's promise to meet our deepest need comes from a heart of grace. We need to get this. This this statement here, come by get the water you need, get the wine milk. and This is not a, you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back, deal with God. There is nothing that anyone in this room has to offer God. There's nothing we can say, God, here, here's my talent. Give me what I need. Here's my holiness. Give me what I need. All of us. All of us are broken, all of us are sinners, all of us are people who have nothing to bring to God. All that we can do is receive what He freely gives. We don't have to earn our way with the Lord. And we couldn't if we tried. But the suffering servant, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has taken care of it and we don't need to earn it. Grace is ours. And this call to the needy is beautiful and warm and wonderful. And I need you to know God's salvation has always been about grace. Always. And the sustaining power he brings to us is because of grace. And we need to learn to trust in that grace. We, If we do, we'll begin to understand what Jesus meant. In John 10.10, he makes a contrast between the enemy of humanity and himself. He says, the thief, Satan, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they might have life and that they would have it abundantly. The deepest need of the human heart is a relationship with God. The God who created. The God who loves. The God who calls. And the only way that relationship can be formed is when we finally recognize God is offering it to us without cost freely, in grace. And I find that's the reason a lot of people want to reject God because they don't like the idea they can't make it on their own. But folks, this is good news. This is good news because God offers a quench to our thirst freely in Christ. And in promising to give us what we need, God assures us of another amazing promise. He will give us what we need freely. God says we need to understand that in our time of need, we need to embrace God's grace freely. We need to give in and just say, Lord, here I am. That may hurt our human pride, but human pride is what gets us in trouble in the first place. So God, help me learn what it means to throw myself into your grace, to receive this gift that will quench my deepest thirst, that will take care of my deepest hunger. Father, help me to know your grace. And that leads us to the next promise. Because God says, I can offer you a satisfaction that the world cannot. I can offer you something the world can't give you. And if you keep trying to, to find peace on your own, you'll keep butting your head against a wall. You will not find it. I can give it to you. He's telling Israel. He's telling us. You see, God was calling his people to move beyond whatever satisfaction that Babylon might offer. He says to them, don't weigh out clumps of silver. That's the, re- the real, ex- most literal translation. They didn't have coins until the Persian area. Don't get out your clumps of silver and pay out for something that's not going to satisfy you. Commodities that won't nourish you. Listen to what he said again. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Now, we know something. I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson about the Babylonian captivity. When Babylon came and brought Judah to Babylon, it lasted 70 years. It was not as harsh a captivity as the Egyptian. But strangely enough, to the Jewish people, in their mindset, the Babylonian captivity was worse than the Egyptian, Because when they are slaves in Egypt, they don't have a relationship with Yahweh. Not the kind they will have once they enter a covenant with Him. Babylon seemed to say that God failed us. God could not protect us. God did not deliver us. For 70 years, they live in Babylon, which means there were some Jewish people born in Babylon. They had never seen Judah, they had never seen the temple, they didn't know about the rituals. Oh, they've heard the stories, but they had never witnessed the rituals. They didn't know about the glory that had been Judah. All they've ever known is Babylon, all they've ever known is captivity. But it was a kind of captivity where they could build a life. And many of them did. They settled in to Babylon. So when Cyrus the Great, the Persian leader, finally came and destroyed Babylon, he told the Jewish people, you can go home now. You can go home. And do you know what? This may be the part you don't know. There were a lot of Jewish people in Babylon who said, we are home. We don't know what you're talking about. This is the only home I've ever known. This is the only life I've ever known. And when the multitude of slaves went back to Judah, a large portion of them stayed in Babylon and never went home. And and Isaiah is calling out and his heart and his, his message for them that God has given him. He's calling out to them, those who have grown comfortable in Babylon, those who have been satisfied with what Babylon had to offer. He's giving them an admonition and he's giving them a warning and he's saying, look, you're tempted to live and you're tempted to be satisfied with what Babylon gives you. They made a nice little life for themselves. And overall, it was a nice, calm life. And now here's Isaiah. They're hearing the promise or the prophecy. Here is Isaiah throwing a pebble into their nice, calm water that's going to set ripples going. And he's asking, this is what he's saying. Does all this really satisfy you? Is this what you are for? Is this what you're satisfied with? God is saying, listen to me. Listen to me. This will not satisfy you. This will not give you what you need. You need to come home. Isaiah is leaving them a question. What will truly satisfy you? And it's a difficult question for all those who are enslaved to deal with. And right now, understand, I'm not just talking about Babylon. I'm talking about all who are enslaved, including us. Is this what's going to satisfy you? Is this what's going to give you what you think you need? It won't work. It's hard to, to think otherwise, but Jesus made a statement that echoes this. And he may have had this passage of Scripture in mind. In John 6.27, Jesus said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him the Father God has set His seal." Don't be satisfied with what the world offers. It won't last. It won't be real. It won't calm. It won't bring peace. It won't bring wholeness into your life. Folks, what this means for you and me, very simply, our disquieted hearts will never find peace in the things of this world. When you're torn apart, when you feel like, You are on your own when you feel as if God himself has abandoned you because all of the bad things are happening. When you feel on the far side of eternity away from God, we turn too often to the world. And it won't work. One of the saddest characters in all of British literature, for me, and all of literature indeed, is a person named Smeagol. We meet him in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, and he is in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And his is truly, it's not quite a tragic story in the the common sense of tragedy, because you have to be an important person who falls, but it is tragic in just the pain. He was corrupted by the powerful and dangerous one ring. We are finally told his story. And as the story unfolds, he and a relative deagle were out having fun and fishing and playing. And deagle finds a ring. And Smeagol says, give it to me. And deagle says, it's mine, I found it. And in a moment of rage and lust and coveting, Smeagol kills Deagle and takes the ring. And it extends his life far beyond the normal lifespan. We meet him in The Hobbit as Gollum. This one-time hobbit like creature, is turned and corrupted and twisted and becomes a monster. The ring is his precious. And he will do anything to own it, to keep it. And his journey begins. And as the journey goes, we find out that he has now formed a love-hate relationship with this ring. He loves it and desires it, and must have it. But he hates it. Gandalf the Grey telling Frodo, just as Gollum hates and loves himself. It is someone who is absolutely enslaved by what he once thought was beautiful. And it will destroy him. And every time I read the story, every time I watch the films, my heart breaks for Gollum. Frodo wants so badly him to be redeemable. And he almost makes it. And so this ugly creature up on your screen represents our heart when we are looking for something to satisfy us, something that will fill us, something will, will move us and give us meaning apart from God. This is humanity apart from the Lord. The treasures of this world will take over our lives. If we're not careful, even as children of the living God, we can get caught up in the things of the world and find ourselves out of the will of our Father. And the sad thing is, too often we are tempted and we find ourselves defining success and meaning and richness by things of this world. A successful church is the mega church with millions of dollars in its budget. The successful church is the one that can have enough programs going that will keep you busy six out of seven, maybe seven out of seven days a week. And, and we find ourselves thinking, this is success. Success is when everything is going our way. Folks, for decades in this country, we had it essentially easy as Christians. We lived in a culture Where it was expected that you would be a member of a church, whether or not you went was a whole other question. But it was expected you would be a member of a church. And things went well and we had it easy and things were going smoothly. And that was success. And now that there's challenge and now that there's difficulty coming, we find ourselves struggling. May I remind you what Jesus said Luke six twenty seven. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. When people treat you nice, it's not necessarily a good thing. And we need to understand this. Our peace, our abundance, our meaning in life rests in Jesus Christ. And we must look to Him for our meaning not for outward circumstances. We need to understand that. Because Babylon's calling, just pay attention to me. Babylon's calling, come and follow. Jump in and join the party. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in a strange land. So in our hunger and thirst, let us refuse to settle for worldly answers. And this is crucial. Everything the world is offering us, everything it's calling out to us, is empty in the long run. We must settle for nothing less than God's gift of grace. That is what will give us meaning. That is what will give us sustenance. That will give us, in the time of struggle, what we need. For God alone can make us whole. God alone can bring us the peace we so desperately need. And He offers us satisfaction for one reason. There is only one reason God is calling out to you today. If you're thirsty, come to me. One reason. And one reason alone. And God says, I can fill your life with a faithful love. That's it, folks. The only reason God is reaching out to you, reaching out to us, calling the church in America back to Him, the only reason He's allowing the thirst to overtake us so that we will hear Him, and receive Him, there's only one reason, and that reason is love. In our text, in the third verse, God offered a renewed covenant blessing among His people in captivity. Come back to me, and I will give you a blessing like the kind David had. Why? Because of God's grace, because of God's love. The captives in Babylon were being promised a renewed covenant, a promise in line with the blessings that had been promised David, a covenant that would ultimately find its meaning in the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, Jesus of Nazareth. And all of this was because of love. A beautiful little word, chesed. Chesed, covenant love of God. And the Brown Driver Briggs Hebrew-English lexicon gives a beautiful definition of this. It's a little bit lengthy, so hold on to me. When the Bible talks about chesed, it is God's kindness. It is sometimes called loving kindness. It is His condescending, the great Holy One of Israel, coming to us because we could not get to Him He is our goodness, our favor. It is specifically a loving kindness that comes in redemption from enemies and troubles. Uh, It is uh, a loving kindness that quickens the spiritual life. It is a loving kindness that redeems us from sin. A loving kindness that keeps with all of the covenants God has ever made with His people. And we should rejoice in it. We should trust in it. We should live in that love. But I want to come back to those words, every one. Because in these songs of consolation, the book of consolation and comfort, by the way, that opens up with this beautiful, in and, and Isaiah 40, comfort you, comfort you, my people. This blessing is going to be for every one. In Isaiah 45, we are told that God is going to extend the covenant with all nations. That there will be people from all over the earth who come to know, who come to know God. In Acts 13.34, Paul quotes this passage of Scripture and connects it to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which brings life and hope to everyone who chooses, everyone who believes and has faith. A love that looks at us and says, I love you in spite of yourself. I love you, warts and all. I love you and I love you enough, I'm not going to leave you where you are. I'm going to make of you something better. And my love is what will happen. And we need to understand, folks, we need to really get this. The love this world has to offer, this world brings, is a pale comparison to what can be ours in the Lord. Now please, hear me carefully. I am not disparaging a lost person's ability to love. I believe a lost mom can love her children with everything within her. A spouse who doesn't know the Lord can know love. But the problem with the world's love is too often understood in terms of emotion. Emotion which can quickly come or go. I shared with some of you back in the 90s, it was the first time I heard uh, it was getting to be popular for couples to change their wedding vows to read not... We'll stay true as long as we both shall live. We shall be true to each other as long as we both shall love. And folks, any minister who would be willing to go along with that, that change shouldn't be marrying anybody. Because love is, unfortunately, I'll love you until you get old. I love you until I meet somebody I like better. I love you, and so on and so forth. The love that God brings, and even as Christians, we can be caught in the trap. We can begin to think about love as emotion. Love is the way I feel about people. We need to get away from that. Biblical love is an act of the will. Biblical love is an act that says, I want what is best for you. I want you to have meaning and purpose and richness in your life. Not do you make my palms sweat? Or not do I like your jokes? Or not do, you know, all the things that so often we look at. Christ told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that's hard enough. He also told us, love your enemies. This last week, you had to have been living in a bubble if you did not know there were some very significant things that happened this week. A trial brought to an end and a verdict given. And it, wherever end of the spectrum you are, if you think it was the best verdict that would ever given in this world or it was a travesty of justice, you can have your opinion about that and it can be a strong opinion if you want, but you know what you can't do? As a child of God, you can't hate the people involved with that verdict. You cannot demonize the people you don't like. Because the moment we start doing that, the moment we start looking at the enemies as something out of the pits of hell, we will quit praying for them, we'll quit being concerned about them, we will not share the good news with them, We will turn our backs on them. And most important, we will deny the very word of our Lord. There are a lot of things in this world that I get angry about. And I want to believe that some of them are at least righteous indignation. But the moment Jesus Christ came into my life, I gave up the right to hate. I surrendered that to him. Now that doesn't mean I don't fight it. That doesn't mean it doesn't raise its head. But I need to understand that God wants something more for us. And what the world offers is in stark contrast to what God offers. Because if any being in the entire universe ever had the right to simply hate, it would be God Almighty. we are told that He loves us. And how do we know that? I usually quote verse 8 for you, but listen to a few more verses out of Romans 5, beginning in verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die But God demonstrates His own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. And God could have condemned us all. And there would have been nothing unrighteous about that decision. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. But our God will never stop loving his children. I don't know if, what that means to you, but God will never quit loving you. Even if you go into the far country, even if you, you wander away and get out of his will, God's love Will still keep reaching out to you, and he'll still keep calling you. When you're thirsty, come to me. I'll give you what you need. Some of you will know the name Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, Johnny's story—if you've never heard it, you need to look her up. It's an amazing story of an amazing turn of events. Uh, she is a paraplegic, uh, lost uh, most of. All of her feelings in a tragic accident became very bitter and then the grace of God came and she came to know the Lord. And she wrote about a time when her heart was filled with fear. When she was just thinking there's no hope. And she she talks about, I glanced at the bird feeder and smiled. I could understand Jesus noticing if an eagle or falcon or hawk fell to the ground. Those were the important birds he created. The kind worth attending to. But a scrappy Barrow, they're a dime a dozen. Even Jesus said so himself. Yet thousands of bird species, the the Lord chose the most insignificant, least noticed, scruffiest bird of all. A pint-sized thing that even dedicated bird watchers ignore. And she said, that thought alone calmed my fears. I felt significant. And notice, because if God takes note of each humble sparrow, who they are, where they are, and what they're doing, I know he keeps tabs on me. In our time of self-doubt, let us understand that God offers us His amazing covenant love. And each one of us here at some point in time will struggle and wonder, why would God love me? And that usually comes during a time we failed, when We've messed up. Why would God love me? Why? Because then we need to remember that God's love is faithful. His covenant love never stops. It is a love that will reach out to us when we fail, a love that strengthens us when we are weak, a love that will ultimately transform us. And it is a love that cries out to our wounded hearts. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And we know that because of the cross. God showed us his love in the cross. And he cries out, if you're thirsty, come. One of the most moving passages in British literature comes towards the end of Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. story about the French Revolution and each day a grim procession of prisoners are brought to the place of execution. And one particular day, one prisoner, Sidney Carton, is going. He's a brave man. At one time, he had completely lost his soul. He was a drunkard, did everything wrong you could possibly do. But by the time in this story, he has found hope again. He has become what he should be, giving his life for a friend. And beside him, there's a a young girl. And yes, she's headed toward the guillotine as well and she they had seen she had seen him in the prison and noticed his gentleness his courage and so she says to him on that cart if i may ride with you will you let me hold your hand i am not afraid but i am little and weak and it will give me more courage and so they ride to the place and when the cart stops he looks down at this little girl he's never let go of her hand and there's no longer any fear in her eye And she has a composed face, quiet, and she says to him, I think you were sent to me by heaven. God has sent the Comforter to us from heaven. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God himself who dwells within us. Our God is right here in the midst of our dryness. And he's calling out to us. If you're thirsty, come. If we're thirsty for his touch, he will freely give us what we need. If we're thirsty for something that will satisfy, he will offer us a satisfaction the world never could. When we feel unloved, he reminds us, I loved you, all the way my son went to Calvary. I loved you when he was raised from the dead, and I love you now. There's people in need of an awakening. It's important along the way that we have words of consolation. As we look at this subject, it's very easy for us to just so focus on the judgment that we forget that what God is saying every time he gives us a warning is, I love you, and I want you to come back. So today, we need to respond to God's call. He's crying out right now, listen. Listen to me. Will you hear his voice today? Will you turn to God for the healing that is so desperately needed because of your brokenness? Will you turn and let God give you what you need to have that thirst quenched. And I remind you one more time that this was a message to the covenant people of God. This is not primarily an evangelistic message to those who have never known. Although it can we can see truth there for them. This is a word calling out to people who have been committed to God and have lost their way. If you're thirsty, come. We're going to pray in just a moment. If you'd like to pray at the altar, you can. If you'd like to meet with me after service and let's pray together, I'll be out front and we can make that arrangement. But today, you need to do business with God. I need to come back, Lord. I need to come back. I'm thirsty.